0: Hey, everybody. It's Kelly. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm so excited you're going to join me. This is a great episode. I actually recorded with the Euronurse team. Check them out at euronurse.com. Great education for all urology nurses, I'd say in urogyne, anybody who's helping out clinics where you're seeing midlife women who are suffering and you need to know more about genital urinary syndrome of menopause, vaginal estrogen. We talk about some myths and the truths about it. So I think this is a really high yield episode for people. The last time I did a GSM episode was about July. So we're due. It's time. There's new people. Welcome, welcome. And remember, if you are listening to this podcast and you not have not hit follow, please follow and like and star and share because that brings it up in the ranks and we are getting big and we need to get bigger and reach all the eyeballs and the people because there's 50 million midlife women and they are suffering. So thank you so much for sharing to tell all the platforms that this is an important podcast. Two other things I wanted to let you guys know about. I, I know not everybody listening to the podcast follows me on Instagram. Um, I, I talk a lot there i do I've, i'm pretty good at reels now these days you guys i've i've got a viral one now called menopause myths anyways i digress but you might not know about this if you haven't been following me on instagram um i have a retreat coming up and it is in march and it is in sedona and it is going to be luxurious i basically manifested a sedona retreat so i'm pretty excited about that and you can go to ascend a-S-C-E-N-D retreats.com to find out about it. It's limited to 20 people. We're almost 50% sold out. It is luxury and lots of mind, body coaching, movement. And then we're going to do some hormone education, some sex education. You will not leave there without a plan for your life, either to help patients if you are a provider or if you are a somebody who needs hormones, how to advocate what you might need. This is not a retreat where you're getting individual medical advice, but you will get a fricking plan to basically rock your midlife. So I'm excited to see you there. I'm excited for the people who've already signed up. Um, Ascendretreats.com. Once it's sold out, it's sold out. That's going to be in March, 2024. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys there. The Second retreat I want to give a shout out to is specifically for my perimenopause people. There's this amazing treat, retreat that's happening in February in Florida. So people who are on the East Coast side, um, if you're on Instagram, follow Being Marcella Hill. You can go to her link and find it there. Um, Marcella Hill is the one who's putting on this wake her up retreat. It's going to be high energy, a little bit more of a bigger scene than my retreat. But if you are closer to Florida than you are to Sedona, um, go check that out. It's going to be a lot of hormone education, empowerment, learning how you are your own best friend. So go check out that retreat option too. Okay, I think that's it. Thank you to the team at your own Nurse for not only interviewing me and having me on your platform, but giving me the audio so I can share it with my audience. Check out euronurse.com. Remember to follow and like and share this podcast. I love you guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Kasperson.
1: And let's bring in our guest speaker, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Welcome.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Kasperson. I've been in private practice urology in Washington State for going on 12 years now. And my story is is how I got here. So about pre-pandemic, probably about seven years in, they always tell you beware of the seven-year itch, whether it's your career, your marriage, something you get bored or you get complacent. Life is not so interesting anymore after seven years. And I kind of had this like existential, I'm just going to see recurrent UTIs for the rest of my career. What am I doing? Sort of freak out. And I think the universe heard me and was like, okay, you're ready. Here's, Here's your next phase of life. And I had a woman who... Back in the beginning of private practice, I was doing cystectomies, big cancer surgeries. We had treated her muscle invasive bladder cancer. And she was cured. She did great. And we just really bonded and are and friends. And we I see her every, once a year. And she came in and she was just devastated about her sexless marriage. I love my husband, but we're not intimate. And she just felt really, really broken and destroyed over it. And I was handing her the box of Kleenex, kind of going over what I was taught in residency, that women are complicated, we'll never figure them out. Don't worry, the OB-GYNs are taking care of them. And I thought, I don't know how to help her. Is it true that we don't know how to help women? And because of that moment in my clinic, I deep dove into everything I could about female sex med. And turns out we know a lot. It just doesn't dissipate into, number one, the medical curriculum, the nursing curriculum life it's overpowered by society's shame about sex and Hollywood and how it's supposed to be and are you doing it right what do others think of you and I had this voice in my head and it said you need to talk and I loved podcasts so I started a podcast I was one of the first two urologist podcasters that I'm aware of almost four years in two months it'll be four years for the you are not Broken podcast. And since then, I've done a book, I've done a TED Talk, basically saying adults need better sex ed because their lives are so much better because of it. And part of that's estrogen and hormones. And that's what I'm here to talk about today.
1: Great, great introduction. Let's go ahead and bring up your show and take it away.
0: Awesome. So I was asked today to talk about estrogen, vaginal estrogen, kind of safety reasons to use it, just in case anybody's living under a rock and not using this in their urology practice. And this is what I tell people. To me and my urology colleagues who do this, we give out estrogen probably at least 10 prescriptions a day. But for people who aren't, these people are coming into your practice. You're just not seeing them and you're just not treating them. And so really part of this is to say, vaginal estrogen has a huge role in the urology practice. And if you're not using it, either you have a male-only practice with no vulvas and vaginas, or you're under-treating your population. And this might not be something that we were taught in training. So I think back, I struggle to think, was I using vaginal estrogen as a treatment in residency? So I learned it too. It's very easy. And I'm going to give you some tips and tricks about it today. We do not have time to go into systemic estrogen. So this is pelvic localized estrogen that is only in the pelvis. So when doing a lecture on general urinary syndrome of menopause, you have to bring up Betty White because she is hilarious. And she did a bit on Saturday Night Live about as bakers get old, their muffins get dry. (laughs) And it's very funny if you (laughs) want to go watch it. (laughs) So I'm on the internet. I just hit 45,000 on Instagram today, which I think is a big deal. And I see over and over the myths about vaginal atrophy and pain with sex over and over. And I did this post a while ago now, because so many people think... If you have kids, it protects you from it. Or if you're, you know, have high adiposity, it protects you from it. None of this does. This is an aging hormonal issue. But the myths, because our education is so bad, the myths abound. So here's a here's a standard urology patient that comes into every clinic in America. Chief complaint, overactive bladder and recurrent UTI. And a 78-year-old who comes in with overactive bladder symptoms. She's tried oxybutynin, didn't have any benefit for it. She's also having symptoms of UTI three to four times a year. Sometimes the urine culture, we'll we'll just make it up. Sometimes the urine cultures come back positive and sometimes they don't. And she stopped having sex several years ago because it just hurt too much. So some people would say, eh, UTI, not really our problem. Maybe some second line therapy. We talked to her about some Botox. You You can kind of treat her like a urology patient. Or you could think, is, does she have three separate issues going on, right? Does she have recurrent UTI, overactive bladder, and pain with sex? Is that three separate issues? Or is this one issue that can be treated with one medication? And I would argue that this is one thing, just presents in different ways. This is your classic genital urinary syndrome of menopause. So why do your women go to your... Women are not coming to urologists saying, I have genital urinary syndrome of menopause. They don't know that word. They're not presented as not their chief complaint, but they are coming with all the things that are GSM, getting up at night, recurrent UTI, burning with urination, peeing razor blades, a classic one I see because people are very bad at doing physical exams these days and it burns down there and they get an antibiotic for it over and over and over. It burns down there and they get an antibiotic for it. Nobody's done an exam, looked at her vulva, looked at her urethra, seen the classic hormonal changes of GSM. And they're treating this with antibiotics. I don't have to tell you we're overusing antibiotics and they have side effects. So the senile vagina was in the 1980s. I was giving a, just gave a panel on menopause in New York City and they were like, talk about how GSM is so much better than saying vaginal atrophy. Because that's kind of people's argument. And And I'm like, well, yeah, but before vaginal atrophy, it was called the senile vagina. Like it's way better than that. So in the how I found this out, I was not practicing medicine in the 80s. I was going down a rabbit hole for a podcast about the use it or lose it myth, which is a whole nother presentation. But so many women are shoulded into having vaginal penetrative intercourse. Otherwise they're gonna lose it as if putting something in your vagina prevents atrophy. So I went back to the original paper that people quote this from, which didn't show that, but all in the 80s, it's all called the senile vagina. So my argument is vaginal atrophy was at least better than the senile vagina, and GSM is better than vaginal atrophy. And the reason why GSM, they, they coined that in the 2014, because it actually describes what's happening and why it's happening, whereas the senile vagina and vaginal atrophy don't explain the conditions to you. So now it's, it's basically the ICD- 10 is N95.8, which also comes up as vulvovaginal atrophy. It's kind of one in the same as far as coding goes. But yes, we do have a code for this. And the reason why it happens is the dramatic decrease in estrogen. So genital, urinary, sexual, all the things. So how common is it? It's chronic and it gets worse the more years you go on without having estrogen. 64% one year after menopause. 84% six years after menopause actually about 15% of women pre-menopause. And I see this myth a lot that I can't be on vaginal estrogen or I can't take hormones because I'm still having my period. Which literally makes no sense because like throw an IUD in her, she stopped having her periods, then you can give her hormones, right? It's not even logical. This can start kicking in before menopause. And then the other thing I put on here, birth control pills can mimic because the way they block hormones, they can mimic GSM in some pelvises, also breastfeeding, also because of the block of estrogen with the prolactin, also cancer treatments, radiation. So there's a lot of things that can cause these symptoms that can be improved with estrogen cream that isn't specifically going through menopause. So just a graphic of what actually happens to the vaginal lining. We lose our collagen, we lose our elasticity, we lose the well vascularized lubricated surface. And for the people who don't have vaginas in the room, think about how bothersome a dry mouth is. You don't know, maybe don't have a dry mouth very often, but when you have it, it is very bothersome. Or if you've never had a dry mouth, think about dry eyes. If you don't have it, it's not bothersome. But as soon as you have severe dry eyes or dry mouth, it is a big quality of life issue. And it can actually affect the surrounding tissues, right? It can affect your teeth. It can affect your tear ducts. It can affect you know the, how, how easily your eyeball is, is traumatized because it's not lubricated. And I think a lot of the dismissal of this condition is one of two things. Number one, I've never had it. Or number two, I don't have enough, a vagina. When you say we have mucosal surfaces in our bodies that need to stay lubricated and moist to do their job, including eyes and mouth, then people can say, "Oh, well, yeah, I remember having dry mouth. That was horrible. This was every day for like years and years. Yeah, it could be horrible, right?" And vaginal dryness is one of the biggest complaints with the GSM, and people it's just they just get dismissed all the time because of it. So. Genital urinary syndrome menopause is literally everything you see a urologist for. Recurrent UTIs, pain with sex, urinary urgency frequency. I would argue that most urologists don't ask women about their sex life, but certainly if you're doing, you know, doing an exam, you're seeing discomfort, you can ask and people will tell you like, "Oh, I stopped having sex 7 years ago. I stopped having sex 4 years. It's years and years ago they stopped being sexually active because of pain." And in our society, it's not okay to talk to your doctor about pain with sex. So most people don't. But you literally can disrupt relationships over this. So UTIs alone. People are like, oh, it's just a UTI. Go get some I'm Like, whatevs. UTIs kill people. 7 million hospital visits annually. 25% of all infections in older people. There was an interesting abstract I found. If you look at people who've had a UTI in that year, their Medicare expenses. One third of total Medicare spending on these people is in regards to their urinary tract infection. So one would argue this is a big financial problem as well. So vaginal estrogen and UTI. Good thing is the AUA is now talking about when I was in training, I literally was taught, we don't know why some people get recurrent UTIs. We didn't know. Keep giving them antibiotics. Now we we know, as we lose the estrogen in the vagina, the pH rises, it kills off the lactobacillus, which is our microbiome that helps prevent and block the E. coli and the bowel bugs from coming up. Really, we need a healthy vagina as a moat or a barrier between the gut and the bladder. So multiple studies now showing vaginal estrogen decreases the risk of UTI between 50 and 68%, depending upon what study you want to look at. In this study, in this Kaiser system study, women with recurrent UTI, 30% had no UTI in the next year, which is pretty dramatic going from average of three to four a year. Uh, This is what I tell people. I'm like, the only people who never will get a UTI is a dead person. You're a living organism, but I can space it out. I can get I can spread it out. And I'm like, if there was a medication that could decrease your UTIs by 50%, would you want to be on it? Most people say yes. And that's how you get the buy-in to the vaginal estrogen because estrogen still in this day and age has a lot of fear and bias behind it. And we're going to go into safety too. So again, looking at our national guidelines on uncomplicated recurrent UTIs, clinicians should recommend vaginal estrogen to reduce the risk of future UTIs. So. I'm going to tell you this story. Because of my platform now and the podcast and the Instagram, I see people from around the nation and Canada. This woman came to see me from Louisiana. She was seeing a urologist, I'll say a male urologist, and he had diagnosed her with embedded UTI, which the experts are still like. I actually texted my friend who is like a writes to the papers. And I'm like, is that embedded UTI a thing? Or are we just calling this a thing? Like, is this actually a thing? And People are, ah, da, da, da. so she was diagnosed with embedded UTI from her urologist. She was on two antibiotics. The plan for these, one of them was intermuscular injections of gentamicin. The plan for these antibiotics was years. I'm like, what's your plan with this? And she's like, he said years. Like, okay. And then I did a physical exam. I, I call this the Dr. Donahue principle. He was an older attending in my residency. And he harped on us over and over again. He's like, what did the physical exam show? Did you do a physical exam over and over and over again? And by golly, he is absolutely right. You do a physical exam on this woman. She has a prolapsed urethra, a red tender vulva. Examine her back. She's got tailbone pain, constant burning. Ask her about her sex life. They stopped being intimate over this. She was going around injecting antibiotics for years for an embedded UTI. She was 58. I said, you have GSM. You need some hormones. And she said, could it be that simple? And I said, yes. And she's like, is it possible I don't need to be on all these antibiotics? I said, yes. Physical exam and listening to your patients is basic and simple. And the right treatment for the right person can save lives. So what about our bread and butter of anticholinergics as you know our level two for overactive bladder, switching, switching urology problems here. Anticholinergics has been our bread and butter. We know they're contraindicated in age greater than 65 by the Beers criteria because of their association with dementia and falling. Yet our insurance companies demand us use at least one, if not three, prior to going on to third-line therapies. We have one study randomizing it, the estrogen vaginal ring versus oral oxybutynin for treatment of overactive bladder equivalency why does no urologist know about this paper because it's published in the menopause journal urologists besides me are not reading the menopause journal this has not been replicated since but to me i'm like you can either drug the bladder with an anticholinergic or you can restore function the bladder and the pelvis and the vulva, and the vagina became what they became because of estrogen. When you take it away, they start to atrophy. They start to weaken. They start to become dysfunctional. You're literally restoring function with the vaginal estrogen versus drugging it. So my overactive bladder, you can't get out of my office if you have a vagina and overactive bladder without some form of vaginal estrogen. So my big wish with this is if insurance has allowed me to fail estrogen cream to get to my third-line therapies. That won't happen. That's my my dream. What about erectile dysfunction and penile implants? Let's talk to the urology people who only see men. 90% of people with penises want to put their penis in a vagina. The average person who has erectile dysfunction and penile implants is an older male. So my partner does IPPs. Guess who comes and sees me six months after the IPP? Because they've never used it, right? The couple. We are under-treating the man if he wants receptive penis and vagina sex. Journalist Sexual Medicine published this, I think this year. Can treating male sexual dysfunction destabilize a couple's harmony? I actually talked to a urologist who was threatened to be sued by the wife because it destabilized the relationship so much. Nobody's took care of her, asked her if she wanted it. I think this is a very interesting argument that I'd love to see at the AUA because I think there's a decent amount of urologists who say, we just treat the patient in front of us. But that patient wants to be in a coupled sexual relationship. You've got to treat the other person. Got to ask them, are they using vaginal estrogen? Do they have any pain? Do they want your super penis at home? Really, really interesting conversations I think that can be had. But when I see men in my office, I ask them, I'm like, has anybody taken care of her? Do you know if she's got any issues? is she receptive to you coming home with Viagra? Nine times out of 10, I kid you not, he says, I don't know. I've never asked her. So thus proving communication in adult sex ed is very, very poor. So we have a vaginal estrogen for GSM systemic review. This is great. Compared with placebo, it helps all these urology problems. And the AUA is actually coming out with its own GSM guidelines well, however long guidelines take, but they're currently working on them. So the AOA is going to come out with their own GSM guidelines soon. So things you can do. You can do non-hormonal for these symptoms. My argument is it's a Band-Aid, not a treatment. But we do have moisturizers and lubricants. The ones with hyaluronic acid are amazing because they hold on to a lot of water. Laser, it's not great. I think it works good for scars. And we can, that's beyond the scope of this. It's certainly that's your way expensive option over non-hormonal moisturizers. So level one, you can use your, the moisturizers. Um, Reverie, I actually have this on my desk. because I podcast about it. By Bonafide, I get no money from these people. Um, makes a nice hyaluronic acid suppository as a non-hormonal moisturizer. But it's not going to have those changes on you know, the bladder function, the pH changes to improve the UTIs, like, like putting your hormones back is going to. Yes, the DHEA under the hormonal is an amazing product. It's called Intrarosa or Prosterone. It is approved, Medicare approved for dysperunia. So it's kind of under the sexual health, which is why coverage is so bad for Medicare people. It's about 80 bucks a month. It is an expensive way to do it, but Prosterone or DHEA is an amazing product. And the reason is... The vulva and the vagina have lots of androgen receptors too and are quite responsive to adding some androgen in there. DHEA, again, converts to estrogen and testosterone. Oral, what about oral? Just real quick on here, systemic actions. We've got some data on oral or systemic hormones and um, helping bladder. Specifically, there's a nocturia paper, systemic hormones. But there is an oral medication called ospemaphim. It's a SERM, and it is for dysperunia. I rarely use it. It's quite expensive, but I have one woman with mobility issues. She just can't get the estrogen in her vagina bothered by recurrent UTIs. It's kind of a shot in the dark. It's not FDA approved for recurrent UTIs, but hopefully I'm going to get some favorable changes in the pelvic structures that might help her out. So vaginal estrogen, therapeutic standard, I would say for GSM. Data point on there, the last sentence, big myth With systemic hormones and you're taking estrogen, you must take a progestin if you have a uterus. We have to protect our uterine lining from unopposed systemic estrogen. You do not need to do that for vaginal estrogen. Vaginal estrogen is incredibly low dose. So how low dose? So low dose that a year of vaginal estrogen is equivalent to one oral estradiol pill. Incredibly low dose. So if you have a uterus, you do not need a progestin if you're just going to use vaginal estrogen. We can get into that if people have more uh, more questions. And again, here, this is just saying how, how low is low-dose estrogen? Incredibly low-dose. Man, I got a call from Walmart the other day asking me if I knew what I was doing giving vaginal estrogen to somebody who had a history of heart disease. I'm like, you know what you're doing? Being a pharmacist who doesn't know the pharmacology of vaginal estrogen? So incredibly safe. It's safe in breast cancer patients, cardiovascular disease. It's safe if you've had a blood clot. It's safe if you've had endometrial cancer. There's the, I think I have this coming up, ACOG guidelines for breast cancer survivors. About 4 million breast cancer survivors in our society now. Many, many, many with bad quality of life issues from GSM. Vaginal estrogen is safe. So safe. What do you do? I say, go online, go to ACOG, pull up the treatment, that they say vaginal estrogen is safe with a history of breast cancer. So I have, because I have so many people reach out to me that aren't in my town, this this is the reference I have them go get to bring in. And I always say, run it by your oncologist, but by and large, it's getting into the oncology community that women are suffering, we're under treating survivors, and we have good safety data in breast cancer survivors. So I would say, again, this is looking into The safety of it, it's incredibly safe. Contraindication, current active postmenopausal bleeding. Work it up, send it to a gynecologist. And I crossed out controversial. I would say individualized is the new word we want to use in estrogen-dependent cancer on an aromatase inhibitor. So currently being treated with an aromatase inhibitor, there's a couple of poor quality studies that kind of call into concern the safety of vaginal estrogen, I would argue use your lowest dose vaginal estrogen, which is the four micrograms. Um, that's Imvexi. It's kind of more expensive to get the lowest dose because of drugs, but have it be okayed by their oncologist and then just do the lowest dose that they can, they can handle if non-hormonal hasn't helped them. I don't use a loading dose. This is me crossing out the loading dose because classic loading dose in this country is every day for two weeks and then twice a week. I think it's confusing for people. How many weeks is it supposed to and how so I don't want any phone calls to my nurses. And then number 2, if you if you take a very atrophic thinned lining vagina and then you put daily estrogen cream in it, they do get a little bit of systemic estrogen temporarily until that kind of becomes thicker and they stop absorbing. But I don't want those calls. I don't want that I have headaches, I have breast tenderness, I have I feel bloated. I don't want any systemic absorption. So I don't do a loading dose. I just say two times a week. That's it. So then you don't get that. When Oprah Daily knows you use vaginal estrogen. So we actually did an article with Oprah Daily talking about the barriers to vaginal estrogen. Personally, I went to my own pharmacy and I'm like getting my prescription and they're like, so the point is Oprah knows I use vaginal estrogen so everybody else can know. It was $265. $265. And I'm like, do you know who I am and how much estrogen I put through this pharmacy? I pull up my GoodRx app on my phone. I'm like, I'd like the $28 price. And they're like, oh, sure, no problem. But in this country, you have to be savvy and it's horrific that you have to know the hacks to get cheap medications. The GoodRx is an amazing app for that. But yeah, by and large, for a daily lifelong medication, it should not be $265 for a tube. This stuff has been around since the 70s. It's ridiculous. This amazing podcast could not happen without the support of our sponsors. One sponsor I'm so excited about is Uberlube. I've been using Uberlube and recommending them for years. I give away lube packets in my clinic. Adding lube with intimacy is a no-brainer. And a good silicone lube shows that when you play, you mean business. Uberlube is long-lasting, super slippery, and doesn't have any of that sticky tackiness of the water-based lubes. I find it's great for dry skin, especially skin affected by hormone changes. It's so clean and useful that people use it for their hair and to prevent chafing with sporting activities too. Next time you reach for the lube, reach for Uberlube. Check out the link in the bio with 10% off. Enter the code NOTBROKEN at uberlube.com. I put this here just so you guys can re-reference to all the different types. We've got rings, we've got tabs, we've got creams. Like I said, we've got the oral one. We've got the DHEA, which is great. We don't have head-to-head studies saying anyone's particularly better. I like the cream. I have a cream bias because I like to treat the clitoris and the vulva. And I think you can't get that as well with a tab. The tab is what's over the counter in the UK now, which is fantastic because we have access issues, right? You got to get to your doctor. You got to talk to your doctor about your problem. You got to have your insurance cover, make it a reasonable price. So, so many women aren't getting good access. The UK is like, it's expensive for people to go to doctors. We want to save money. Let's put this med over the counter. Make the individual pay for it instead of the NHS, right? So different economics over there. So my cream bias, and a paper came out supporting this very recently. I pulled this before it actually came out in print. But basically, they said, put it where it hurts for people with dysperunia. So they said, put it where it hurts. When you put it where it hurt, it got better. So that's why I like the cream because you can put it where it hurts. Really that six o'clock, if I use my hand as at six o'clock for penetration is notoriously where it gets tight and dry. I had a scribe make me an Oprah meme about giving vaginal estrogen to everybody. Vaginal estrogen doesn't work if it's too expensive, if it's too messy, if they don't open it, if it doesn't get refilled, patient reads the box label and thinks it's going to kill them. And a big myth, women are like, I see this over and over and it's so sad. Women are like, well, I don't need to use that because my husband X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, why is your vagina for somebody else? I just call them on it because it's such bullshit that people think their vagina, they, they shouldn't take care of their vagina because somebody else isn't using it. Like that is full of societal bias. But I see that a lot. Like your vagina is important for your healthy pelvis and to help protect your bladder from your E. coli and your poop. And then they're like, oh, okay. Also, the other way for overactive bladder, I say your vagina and your bladder are condo mates. They share a wall. It's really hard to put medication directly into the bladder. So we put it in the vagina before you go to bed, that it gets into the bladder. And then they understand it. So you really have to explain this to people. Take it one step further. A lot of people don't know the words for vulva and vagina, right? So don't assume that as much as you know about the pelvis and hormones, that they know that it's safe that they know it's for their bladder, that they know it's a lifelong medication and not just for the one month of the tube. Prescription cost hacks. Mark Cuban, Cost Plus Drugs, fantastic resource. In Epic, if you use Epic for your prescriptions, you type in Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs. And in there, you have to type in your patient's email because that's how they contact the patient to, and match it up with the patient going on the forward-facing website and setting up an account. GoodRx is awesome. Amazon Pharmacy, again, another cash-based option for people. Because this is a lifelong medication. Your estrogen doesn't go back up after menopause. It stays low. This is the other thing I like to tell people. If they have a a male partner in the room with them, I look at the guy. Let's say the guy is also 58. Look at the guy and I'm like, you know, he's got more estrogen in his body right now than you do. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, a man's estrogen is about 30 to 40 a female postmenopausal estrogen blood levels around five. Like, oh, and I'm like, I'm not trying to even raise your estrogen level, but estrogen is very, very safe. Whole nother topic about the Women's Health Initiative and systemic hormones, but I'm happy to answer questions. Estrogen does not cause cancer. It's very safe. And you must use vaginal estrogen until you die. This sounds kind of harsh. So I started tailoring my my pitch. I'm like, you need to use this until three days before you die. And then uh, there was a... a daughter and her mom, they looked at me and they're like, but how do we know when we're going to die? And I'm like, you guys, this is supposed to be funny. And they're like, we've been to too many doctors. We forgot how to be funny. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I know it sucks to go to doctors. So lube is for everybody. If they're sexually active, vaginal estrogen is a preventative medicine. You know, the big, the big, I think, question that I have that we do not have studies for is what is the role Congratulations, you're 50 years old. Here's your mammogram. Here's your colonoscopy, and here's your vaginal estrogen. What is traditional medical practice? Do we wait for somebody to have a disease before we try to fix it? What if we tried to not have them get the disease or the disorder before we tried to fix it? It's like we put on sunscreen because we don't want skin issues. Why don't we start using low dose vaginal estrogen? So it'd be a long study, it'd be a preventative study, it'd take years. But uh, me and a couple of my friends are we're doing our own home study on this. Why wait till you have overactive bladder and UTIs and pain with sex? It makes no sense to me. Your estrogen's low. You can replace it locally. It's got an excellent safety profile. You can get the medication for cheap. Why not live your best life? All right, guys, that was my run through. So we, we leave plenty of time for question and answer and discussion.
1: It was really great. I, I really appreciate your talk. Uh, a lot of stuff to unpack there, but great information, uh, Lori. If we have any questions from the audience, go ahead and put those up on screen. Um, I, will, gonna,
2: I do have a question. Actually, yeah, go ahead. Um, thank you, Dr. Kasperson. That was great. Some of our physicians in our office do. They tell them to throw away the applicator and do just a fingertip application. What yep. do you prefer?
0: Yeah, like I said, estrogen is best used when used. So everybody's got their own, their own bias on it. Like some people, they're so atrophic that the applicator actually hurts. So that might be a good reason to use a finger. Some people just can't figure it out. Fine, use a finger. But oftentimes, and I did this too, estrogen cream is cheaper now than it ever has been. It wasn't, it didn't used to be this cheap. And so I was telling people just to use a teeny pea size amount. And I see people from my gynecologist's office all the time. They're still pea-size amounts. And they're like, I'm still getting UTIs on vaginal estrogen. I'm like, you're using a homeopathic dose, like get back up to normal dosing. But that's the worry with finger is they're not using enough of it. So a gram really for the cream is nice from the tip of your finger to your second bendy part. So two knuckles, that's about a gram. The other thing you can do is you can have them use the applicator to figure out how much that is on their finger to make sure they're using enough. So I have no problem with finger. It's just it tends to underdose if you're not being mindful of that.
2: Great, thank you so much. Yep. We have a question from Monica, and she wants to know uh, the mechanism of action. Question: It's how does vaginal estrogen improve OAB symptoms?
0: Yeah. So I didn't put the I didn't put that in there because I wanted to be shorter talk. But basically, the trigone of the bladder and the bladder smooth muscle all have estrogen receptors in it. Estrogen helps modulate the function of the bladder. And then vagina and the bladder are condomates. They share a wall, right? So you get the estrogen into the vagina, it gets into the bladder. But it really does affect the detrusor function and the elasticity and the, the function of the bladder. And there's multiple, you know, basic science papers looking at you know bladder cell cultures and hormones. If you want to go deep on that. Thank you. I think that's really like just to to back off a little bit. People think of estrogen as like the ovaries make it and maybe without it, you have hot flashes, right? Like that is our basic understanding of hormones. And really to be like, dude, you have estrogen receptors in your ear. Why do you think that vertigo increases in menopause? You have estrogen receptors in your bones. Why do you actually think osteoporosis is happening? Like you have estrogen receptors in your bladder. Why do you think overactive bladder? happens, right? We have estrogen receptors everywhere and the loss of estrogen affects everything.
2: Great presentation, Dr. Kasperson. Thank you so much. This is really super awesome for lack of better words, right? Um, How do you think in the medical community, how can we do better for women? I will say, I think my favorite part of the whole presentation is when you mentioned in urology, we're treating lots of erectile dysfunction and and whatnot, and uh, probably about ninety percent of those penises want to go into a vagina. So interesting, because that made me think of a patient who we were doing a prostate biopsy one time. Wife is in the room. Patient's got his back to her, and he's asking, "How long is it going to be until they can have intercourse again?" And from across the room the wife stares me in the eye and she's trying to gesture a long time because there were certainly probably some issues there and god how do i wish that i would have caught on to that at that time and said you know what we should talk to her too look at her she's got problems too so i love that how how do we change this as a medical community
0: we take care we need to care. We need to care about everybody equally. I think equality, and I didn't see it. We all think we're doing a pretty good job, don't we? Right? Like we think we're doing a good job. And then I got on Instagram mostly to get people to listen to my podcast more. And I started hearing from women from all over the world about how freaking bad medical care is for them. And that's when I started having my eyes open to the fact of like, bias is real. We dismiss 50% of the population way more than we dismiss the other 50%. And we see I see this way more as a urologist mm-hmm. as compared to like the gynecologist, right? Because they don't, they don't see men. Sure. But I would never look at a man and say, I'm sorry you have low testosterone and erectile dysfunction. Sucks getting old, doesn't it? Have you tried some wine and acupuncture? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. right. And we can laugh because we know we treat women that way. Like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, getting old. And it's like, dude, we put IPPs in Mm 85-year-olds. Like, you know, it's really check your bias and just really start caring that everybody's quality of life matters. Let me tell you, the women who come back after vaginal estrogen and their lives are changed by it, you're winning every single day with like a simple med that's over the counter in multiple countries. And it's your level four, right? Meaning, you know, you get paid to do this. So... You're the hero. Like it's such a rewarding part of medicine. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing.
3: Converting women, going from incontinent to continent, changing women's uh, GSN symptoms and improving and eliminating them with topical estrogen or helping a guy void better after treating his enlarged prostate. These are some of the most grateful patients. So to answer your question, Lace, how does the medical community do better? We can do better by being more educated about the safety of estrogen. And also, as Dr. Casperson said, check your bias. We're Mm -hmm. treating men with ED, with low testosterone, and yet we're not addressing the other elephant in the room, which is the female counterpart. And as Dr. Caspersen will gladly tell you, and I freely tell my patients, couples or the guys in the room, over 70% of the time, The female orgasm does not involve the penis in a vagina. It's nice. We need to understand that sex is biopsychosocial. It is not just penis in a vagina.
0: Sure. Huge. Yeah. And to go back, so currently I'm part of a task force that is petitioning the FDA to pull the black box warning off of vaginal estrogen. It's going to happen. They failed. What did they fail? They failed in 2018. And the FDA came back and said, we don't have enough safety data. And again, this is bias. The FDA requires years and years of safety data for a female product compared... Like males testosterone products get approved like this. They don't require the safety data that they're putting on women's products. So it failed last time they did it. We're going up again because we have so much more data since 2018 looking at the safety of vaginal estrogen. We have microassays showing that your blood levels don't even go up with estrogen. We have the WHI crumbling as we speak on estrogen even being bad at all. So I think it's going to happen. But if you pull out, just for fun, if you get your hands on a vaginal estrogen prescription, you pull out the FDA black box warning, it says probable dementia. Probable dementia on a vaginal estrogen packet. And so I tell people, I'm like, listen, you're going to have to listen to your doctor or the FDA and you get to pick. They're like, well, thanks thanks for letting me know. I'm like, if you're a reader of labels, it's going to say probable dementia, heart disease, stroke, blood clot. Because it's old WHI systemic high dose estrogen labeling that they they did a class label and threw it on everything, but I think you know for people to know that that's going to be a lot of phone calls, right? Like my doctor didn't tell me about the safety of this. It's like it's actually very 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 safe. The FDA is behind.
3: Yeah, that's and a good consequently point. we're all behind because of the Women's Health Initiative and how the media grabbed the headlines, the public believed it. And then the physicians follow suit. So we have to... Uh, I was photographing a high school football game last night and a fellow photographer, she's in her 50s. I said, we ha- I have this conversation with everybody. I- I'm an indiscriminate estrogen discusser. <laughs> so I said, hey, okay, you're in your 50s. You're probably carrying menopausal, menopausal. Make sure you are on some sort of topical estrogen if you're not on any sort of systemic estrogen. But anyway, I have this conversation with her it is that important. Not only does it affect the bladder or the vagina, but also affects the bladder, which is mind-boggling to a lot of people. I can reduce the incidence of recurrent UTIs. And for UTIs, ah, just a UTI, just treat it with antibiotics. No. You got to think about these older people. If, you, if they have to get up at night because of UTIs and right lower estrogen, they're having to get up more at night. That fall risk, it's not the fall that's going to kill them. They're going to recover from the fall. It's all the complications from the fall. So if you can treat the underlying problem with something so simple as a topical estrogen... And by the way, I, I do it the simple way. It, the t- estrogen that is used is the one that is most effective. Just once a day. No loading dose, just once a day. And you don't have. I tell the, my ladies, you don't have to stick it at all the way in. You can just apply it around the vulva area. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be intravaginal to to just make it easy for them.
0: Yep, you want to make it easy. Absolutely, there is a paper looking at systemic estrogen and decreasing nocturia. That's very exciting. I again, for the, beyond the scope of this talk, but you're not going to start throwing your eighty year olds on systemic estrogen for that. But really, I think urology just totally ignored the role of hormones and bladder function. Right. And now we're like, oh, look what estrogen does to the bladder. This is amazing.
3: I'm looking forward to the day when we have guideline changes regarding GSM and, and topical estrogen.
0: Yeah. I want to see it in the overactive bladder guidelines. And then I, and then question, like I, on,
1: on that dosage, because Dr. Lin said doing it daily. And mm-hmm. uh, we had a question about that. I know we've been doing it two times to three times a week only. What was and I thought your recommendation was along that line. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I do the cream. So cream can be a little higher dose. Again, I have a cream bias, unless I'm treating a breast cancer patient, but cream is the cheapest, mm-hmm. right? The ring actually is awesome because it's plug and play for like your ladies who maybe have rheumatoid arthritis or they can't see you, just have them come in. My PAs swap out an S ring every three months. The problem with that is it's expensive and it's get, it's on back order a lot right now. So access is a problem to the ring. And then there's your tabs and some tabs are you can do daily. It's a good discussion because we aren't all Toyotas. Some people twice a week is all they need to keep their symptoms at bay. I have some patients they are like, I got to do this four or five times a week. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's my guess is because they're not on systemic hormones. They just need a little higher dose in their pelvis, right? Again, bigger conversation. But to me, I'm like, we all might need different amounts of skincare mm-hmm. so i like to be very flexible you know i think the fears of the safety of it it's so safe that i'm not too worried about them going you know when you compare vaginal estrogen to what an oral dose is it's so safe i don't mind i'm very flexible with my patients i'm like you need it five times a day, a week you need it five times a week but a standard dose for me is the cream is just twice a week sunday thursday pick two days i tell people do it as much as you floss
3: <laughs> <laughs> that would be every day. Yeah, right, for some people. Right. For
0: some people, some people they never use it. This is a good question. Is it okay if the estrogen cream gets on the penis? I love this question because it makes people think. So, if I put estrogen cream in my vagina and it doesn't go into my body, can we put estrogen cream on the penis and it doesn't go into the body? hundred percent. Yes. So I I, I tell people, I'm like, don't use it as a sexual lubricant. (laughs) (laughs) Can you, are you an adult who can plan more than five minutes ahead in your life? Like maybe spread them out a little bit. But yeah, it's not like, I already put this in because I thought I was going to go to bed and now I can't be spontaneous. It's like, go be spontaneous. It's it's probably fine.
3: Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't realize and I was telling my uh, fellow photographer on the sidelines last night, you measure your estrogen level in your blood now and then you start using topical estrogen and then you measure your estrogen level in the blood again. You're not going to be able to detect a difference in your blood estrogen level. And that's how safe it is.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite
1: Estrace <laughs> lotion that, or cream that you prescribe?
0: Just the generic estradiol. Estradiol. It's vaginal estradiol 0.01%.
2: What about do you guys find, and, and I found this as a nurse, you know, especially mostly teaching women to do self catheterization that we do a really bad job at teaching women about their own anatomy. So when we're talking about, one, I love that you mentioned the importance of a physical exam, right? <laughs> and two, when we're talking about just reading the label or taking notes and saying, oh, apply, you know, pea size amount or whatever amount at this opening or that opening here, clitoris, no, here, there. Some women probably don't even know they have a clitoris. What is a clitoris? Do you find that you're having to educate a lot of your patients on their own anatomy? Maybe sometimes not even just, hey, look at this picture, but you know, everybody looks a little bit different. So while you do an exam, when Mm -hmm. you are just talking with them, what do you do?
0: Yeah, you just get those big like handheld mirrors. You can get it like Walgreens for Mm -hmm. whatever, $3 probably now, show it to them. Yep. I like to use their cell phones because when I use their cell phones, they can take that home and look at it again if they want. It's not on my cell phone or anybody else's (laughs) cell phone. I always ask their permission, but I'm like, can I take a picture of this? Because then they can get dressed and I can zoom in which is nice. That's a great idea. idea.
2: Yeah, that's a yeah. great idea. I mean, we ask men to take pictures of their erections for Peronis and, and such. So True. why not do that?
0: True. That's great. Yeah.
3: So the answer is no, not all women know about their anatomies. Yeah. That's, I know. that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tons of shame. And That's
3: another bias
1: because we all think everyone does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, so if you think if you think,
3: wait, women don't know their anatomies and then expect men to know about their anatomies, that's a whole other conversation.
0: (laughs) I found yeah, I I found in the like 75 plus age range, they really don't know what vulva is. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, interesting. So I have two small boys, nine-year-old and a five-year-old.
2: And my five-year-old is definitely a very curious one who really wants to know, first off, why women pee off their butt, right? <laughs> and so I had to try to explain, that's not, you know, I don't pee standing up because of this, but there's a different hole. I don't know, I guess how other parents do it, but in my household, we use anatomically correct verbiage. And yeah. well,
1: um, I'm sure everybody uses the anatomically correct pictures too, right?
2: <laughs> right, right, I, I mean, I hope that with the next generations, we do a better job at, you know, you're talking about women not knowing and men not knowing. Right. I hope that my kids will know what a urethra is, clitoris, vagina, all sorts of different holes. We don't stand peeing. So yeah. even though Very you can, point.
3: actually, you can uh, stand yeah. to pee, but you don't because it's, yeah, <laughs> right. that's just way to... hey,
2: before,
3: before we end, I just want to give a, plug to Dr. Casperson's amazing podcast, You Are Not Broken. If you want a deeper dive into this and other conversations, last week was about butt play. Yeah. So if that doesn't intrigue you, definitely listen to our <laughs> podcast. I
0: did a good job on that one. That was good rapid job. fire. A. <laughs> great.
3: It's great job. Great job.
0: Great. I, but, I, be, I, did that, I did that episode because of a GI doctor, actually. I have a friend who's a GI doc and he's like, listen, my hand's on the door and all the butt questions come up. And uh, he's like, will you do a podcast for me? And I said, will you write me the questions that you want answered? Because I, I wanted to create an episode for him so he could be like, go to this episode and so he didn't have to talk about it.
3: It's literally <laughs> comprehensive. But anyway, that's just, that just part of what she discusses in that podcast about female health, estrogen, sex, everything. Anything and everything you can think of, but you were afraid to ask and you didn't know what to ask. Back to you. That
1: was really great. Uh, Well, that's getting to the end of our show here. I really appreciate everybody's uh, comments today. Great show. Going to put a little plug in for next week. Next week, uh, we're going to be live from Phoenix, Arizona at the SUNA meeting. Come look for Euro Nurse If you're a fan, come and stop by and see me. We'll talk about the show in person instead of over this uh, apparatus here. I'm planning to try to have a... I know I'm going to have a table set up uh, near the registration area. Just look for my big banner. Got a banner to show where we're at and uh, stop by, talk to me. We'll get you on the show because I'm going to record some of this live. If you haven't checked out the website over at, Euro, or at Suna, check it out because they've got a really great area here where you can find out about the conference. You can pick out your itinerary, what you're going to see, load your handouts. It's really well done. And then check out this spot, because I'll be spending some time on here, the Who's Here and chat and social wall and forum. This will be a good way for me to communicate with you guys as far as when Euronurse will be manning that table. I plan to be there on Friday during the exhibit hour times, so I'd like to have you stop by then. We are going to do our show, absolutely do it, on Saturday live. A lot of us are going to be there live, so you'll get to see us all together at the same table. All right, well, everybody have a great day. Again, thanks a lot for joining us at this great meeting, and we'll see everybody live in Phoenix next week. Bye.
0: See you Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of You Are Not Broken. If you want to dig deeper with me, sign up for my Adult Sex Education Masterclass, where you learn adult things like communication skills, anatomy lessons, and desire types, and how to talk to your doctor about sexual health concerns. If you want the Adult Sex Education Masterclass for free, Join my monthly membership for more in-depth, exclusive content, more time with yours truly, a private podcast, coaching, and educational empowerment, and you can watch my interviews live and get them immediately without advertising. Head over to www.kellycaspersonmd.com for the Membership and Adult Sex Ed Masterclass. Members get the masterclass for free. This podcast is presented solely for educational, entertainment, and informational purposes only. I am a doctor, but not your doctor in this format, and all of my platforms and guests, including on this podcast, are not giving individual medical advice or practicing medicine. See and consult with your own care team for your individual needs and concerns. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for the care and advice of a physician, therapist, or other qualified professional. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, in case you were curious about that, And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. But I still love you. Using the information on this podcast or any of my platforms is at your own risk. Until next time, remember, you are not broken.